Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So today we are wrapping up our journey through the Bible, and I brought some guests with me to help kind of make a point. So um, this is uh, Gil and Goldie. Um, Gil is actually the name that our kids gave their very first goldfish, um, Gil Clark. Actually, they were Giants fans way back when, even to this day. So uh, this is not the original Gil. Um, He has gone to the big toilet bowl in the sky. Um, This is Gil Jr., and he was getting kind of lonely, so I actually went out and got him a friend named Goldie. Um, And I brought them here because I want to... Do you think that Gil and Goldie ever think about life beyond the bowl? I mean, you think they ever wonder if maybe there isn't a grander, more beautiful uh, place that maybe they were made for something more? Do you think it would, it would change their lives at all to know that there was something like this? I mean, would it be cruel for me to kind of show them that? <laughs> I mean, they've got a pretty good life. They get fed from above every day, you know. They got, but would it change their lives? Would it matter to them if they learned that there was that they were made for something more. I'll set them down there and let them ponder that for the next half hour or so. (laughs) Because they were made for something more. You were made for something more than life in the bowl. You were made for something more than the life that you see and experience on this earth. You were created for eternity. This year, we've been going through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we began all the way back in Genesis with the very, very first sentence in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we come to the very end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, one of the last chapters, chapter 21, and it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven And the first earth were passed away. That Genesis and Revelation are kind of like the bookends to life of, on this earth, the life of human history, the story, God's unfolding story of redemption through human history. That we were created in the beginning for something more. That we lost because of our sin, because of our self-will, because of our desire to do things our own way instead of God's way. That we want to determine what was right and wrong for ourselves. And every one of us in this room have made that same mistake. But God, through human history, has been redeeming and restoring and renewing. And someday it will come to fruition. So today, I want to talk about eternity. I want to talk about heaven. We kind of think of Genesis as the book of beginnings and the book of Revelation as the book of endings. But actually, actually, as we're going to discover today, it's really not so much about an ending as it is about a new beginning. And so if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 21, 
I, I believe, by the way, Revelation 21 and 22 just are not that well known. Not well, we are not as familiar with it as we should be. And I think part of the reason for that is people have gotten so fascinated with what goes on before that in the book of Revelation. We get so excited about figuring out the mark of the beast and the four horsemen of the, the apocalypse and dragons and scrolls and lambs and all this other stuff that by the time we get to chapter 21, everybody's just kind of tired. <laughs> But I think 21 and 22 are really the point of all of it. And we're going to pick it up there. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. If you've got your copy of the story, page 467. John wrote this. John, who received the revelation, said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Then he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of the burning sulfur. This is the second death. Tim Keller says, the way that you live your life now is largely defined and determined by what you believe about your future. And I believe that's true. The way that you and I live our lives now really is pretty much determined about what we believe about our future. So today I want to talk about our future. I want to talk about eternity. I want to talk about heaven, what we understand and what we learn about heaven in Scripture. But not just about someday. What I want to talk about is how that belief and that hope and that trust impacts our lives here and now on a daily basis. Now I want to start with this idea, that heaven will bring the fulfillment of a growing and flourishing life. John writes, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, you might want to circle that phrase, coming down, because I think that is a radically different idea than what most of us picture when we think of heaven. Most of us kind of picture this idea of white-robed souls floating up into heaven where we will sit on clouds and strum harps for eternity. <laughs> But what John sees and what John tells us is, no, no, it's not we who go up to heaven. It's that heaven comes down to us. In other words, that there is a new reality. The old things are passed away, but something new has come. And what we live in eternity is not a floating around in the air, sitting on clouds kind of existence, but we live a bodily existence. We run, we walk, we dance, we hug. And we know this because we look at Jesus' resurrected body, and he was a very real person. He was not a ghost. He said to his disciples, look at my hands, touch my side. 
fact, later on, it says that he had a meal. He had breakfast of fish with his disciples. And it didn't just kind of slip through him. He ate it and digested it. He, he was bodily resurrected. And our eternity is going to be a bodily resurrection. We will not be disembodied spirits drifting around. That we will have a very solid, real existence on this earth, this new earth. And we will continue to discover and to learn and to grow and to create and to enhance. Because you see, that's what God intended at the very, very beginning. When God created Adam, he placed him in the garden. He said, now be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals. In other words, he gave Adam and Eve a work to do. That your work is not a part of the curse. <laughs> it is part of your creation. God has gifted you and given you talents and abilities and an intellect. He has given you a certain amount of time. He has given you all these resources. And, 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 and he intends for you to use them. That I believe in eternity we will continue to learn and to grow and to discover and to enhance and to beautify creation in the same way that we were intended to at the very beginning. When God created out of Eve, he said, be fruitful, multiply, reign over the earth. And then we get a picture of it. It actually, it says that God brought each of the animals that he had created and brought them to Adam to name. Now, why did God do that? Did God run out of ideas? No. It's kind of like when you give your kid a pet, you know, like Gil. <laughs> and, and part of the thing you give it to your child, you want to see what they will name him. What he will name him. Because it becomes theirs. And so I think God, the very first thing he does is he gives Adam this responsibility. And he says, now, now you choose. You choose the names for each of these animals. And Rob Bell writes about it. He says, can you imagine the scene as God brings each animal one by one in front of Adam? He says, now, what do you want to name this one? Uh, that's a hippopotamus. Okay. Not what I would have gone with, but it's your call. We'll go with hippopotamus. Brings in the next one. What do you want to call this one? Uh, let's call that a duck-billed platypus. Okay. Duck-billed platypus it is. Move them on down. On down through the creation and kind of runs out of these big fancy words and gets down kind of towards the end and brings the next one by and says, now what do you want to name this one? He goes, uh, we'll call that one a dog. Dog? Oh, it's my name spelled backwards. Okay, we'll go with dog. Now, what about this one? Uh, we'll call that one cat. Cat, where did that come from? I didn't create that. No letters from you cat lovers, okay? But see, God involved Adam and Eve in his creation. So I, want, I, I give you a job to do, to be fruitful, to multiply, to till the earth to grow things, to create beauty, to enhance this creation that I've given you. And I believe in the life to come, that's exactly what we will continue to do. In fact, Revelation 20 puts it this way. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him. That's the very same wording that he gave to Adam back in Genesis. Reign over the earth. See, our life to come is not going to be, we've arrived, we've learned everything, we're perfect, and now we just sit around and strum harps all eternity. I believe it is a place of ongoing growth and discovery and beautifying and, and, and enhancing creation. 
Because that's what God intended for us at the very, very beginning. N.T. Wright writes it this way. He says, The redeemed people of God in the new world will be agents of love, going out in new ways to accomplish new created tasks, to celebrate and extend the glory of His love. So here's the implication of that. If that is our eternity, then the big question is kind of the one we addressed last week is, what are you doing with the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the time and the resources that you have now? See, because if that is our eternity and that's what God intends for us, then it seems to me that our life on this earth should not be just filled with this thing of, you know, just collecting green pieces of paper with pictures of dead presidents on it. That our life should be much more meaningful than that. That we should be using our time and our talents and our abilities and our resources for eternal purposes. Because that's what he intends for us. And I think many of us are going to enter heaven, maybe by the skin of our teeth, but be fully unprepared for what we are called to do because we wasted the time that we had on this earth. The implication is that if that is our eternity, then we ought to be starting that now. So the question is, how are you using your time, your talents, your treasures in this life? See, this life really matters because there is a life to come. And it will be a flourishing, ever-growing life. I think the second thing is that heaven will bring the renewal of authentic community. Next thing John writes is, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Now notice in the garden, in Eden, it was a garden. But in Revelation, it's a city. And I think part of the implication there is we were created for community. Remember the creation story? Back in January, we went through that. That God created, and it was good. And God created, and it was good. And at each, each, each aspect of creation, it was good. It was good. It was good. Until you come to the very first thing that it says it was not good. Does anybody remember what it was? It was not good that man should be alone. And so he creates a companion. Ideally suited for him. And that is the beginning of community. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now understand, he's talking about more than just their bodies. That there are no secrets, there's no hiddenness. They are fully known and fully knowing. Because we were created for relationships. We were created for community. You were created for authentic community. Not Facebook community. <laughs> Where you have 650 friends and the level of your communication is like. <laughs> or maybe a one or two sentence post. You were, you were created for deeper levels of community than that. See, we're, we're created to know and be known. To live in community with other people. And, and, and levels of communication that get to the very soul of our being. That, by the way, is why a phone conversation is so much better than a letter because a letter is just the words. In a phone conversation, you get voice inflection and you get a better understanding of somebody. And that's why a personal relationship and a personal encounter one-on-one face-to-face is so much better than a phone conversation because there's facial language, there's body language. There's so many levels of communication. 
And that's the kind of communication and authenticity and, and community that God designed us to live in. Imagine the level of our relationships when they are not junked up by things like our pride and our selfishness and our animosity and our anger and our bitterness and the grudges that we carry. Imagine the depth of conversation and the depth of community that we could experience when we're not hindered by any of that junk. See, that's what we were created for. That's what we were designed for. John describes it this way as a place of cultural richness and diversity. Revelation 7, 9. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. In other words, no more hostility and animosity between races, between nations, between families. That the kind of community and relationships that we were meant to have, now we experience. And I got to tell you, one of the things that I am looking forward to about heaven is to stand and worship and dance with the friends I've made in Uganda from my trips there. And to worship with them and dance like I can't dance here, okay? <laughs> But, but that every culture, every language, every, every brings something to the table. And we celebrate it in a true appreciation of every culture on this earth. See, that's what we were intended for. And some of you, some of you grew up in homes where you didn't get the love and the care and the support that you needed. In heaven, you will have it. Some of you have been through broken relationships, broken families, broken marriages. Some of you more than one. And a little piece of you got torn out of your heart through that. It will be restored. See, that's why Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself because love is the language of heaven. It will be the restoration of those relationships. No more hostility. He will wipe, wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That heaven will bring to us the kinds of relationships we were always intended to have. Loving, fulfilling, meaningful, deep community. What Paul wrote about. To the Corinthian church, his famous chapter on love. He ends it with this. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. See the relationship aspect of it? Now he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So the implications for us here for our time on this earth is that we should be paying a lot more attention to and giving a lot more time to the relationships in our lives. Because that's what carries on into eternity. That we should value and appreciate the people in our lives and tell them so. Why is it? Why is it that we say the nicest things about people after they're dead at their funeral when they can't hear it? Maybe... Maybe we should end every conversation with the words, I love you. 
Maybe we should take more time. This little flashbulb pop of a life compared to eternity and fill it with those things that matter most. Maybe we should give much more time to our relationships than we do to our achievements. Because those are the things that matter. And in heaven, there'll be a flourishing life. There'll be authentic community. But heaven will bring the restoration of an intimate relationship with God. Because ultimately, that's what you were created for. John writes about it this way. God's dwelling place is now among the people. Among. Did you catch that? Among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He says it over and over again. He wants you to understand this. You were created for a relationship with God. It is the thing that we lost most at the fall. And that loss of relationship, that broken relationship with God, has hindered and broken every other relationship we have. Our relationship even with our true selves. Our relationship with other people. Our relationship with creation. See, it all suffered when we lost that relationship with God. There's a beautiful picture in, in, in the book of Genesis. about It talks about how God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. That is a picture of relationship. It's a picture of an intimacy because, see, that's what, that's what friends do. Friends go for a walk. Lovers go for a walk. Families go for a walk because it's not about what you're doing. It's about being with. Uh, one of the family traditions we had as our kids were growing up is in the fall, um, usually Veterans Day, um, we would take the kids and we would go up to the foothills to, to Apple Hill. And some of you know about Apple Hill. A lot of you probably know about Apple Hill. Well, that was kind of one of our family traditions as the kids were younger. We would go up there, and there's a lot of different or, um, apple farms, ranches, and um, everyone has a little bit different thing for you to do. And one of the things is one of the places that we go to, they have the thing called the walking pie. Um, it doesn't have legs. It's just kind of a smaller version of their pie, and it's fresh, and it's hot, and they open up the top, and they pour fresh cinnamon sauce inside. Oh, it's a piece of heaven, okay? And, and they've got, the, their, their orchard is kind of on this hill, and there's this walking trail through the forest and through the leaves as they're brown and orange and yellow and red and all these different leaves and through the apple orchard and all this. And we would go for a walk with our walking pies and our kids. Because see, that's what families do. That's what people in relationship do. And that's the kind of thing that God designed for us. And when he says that he will dwell among them, he will live among them. It's that kind of an idea. The restoration of that relationship that we lost way back when. And in eternity, that relationship is healed. And because that relationship is healed, all relationships are healed. That's what God has in mind for us. See, God did the gospel. The gospel is not just about getting an entry ticket into heaven. It's about a life. It's about a life that starts here and now. The only definition we have anywhere in scripture of eternal life comes from Jesus' prayer at the end of his life. And he is praying to the Father and he's, he's, he's kind of turning over his disciples into God's, the Father's care. And he says, I have brought them to you. I have cared for them. I have taught them. Now I am moving on. And I pray that you would keep them and you would give them this eternal life. And this is eternal life, he says, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. 
that it's about a relationship. And it's not something that's by and by, pie in the sky, even walking pie in the sky when I die. It's a reality that begins here and now. It's about our life here and now. Dallas Willard writes about this. He talks about this idea that, that, that the gospel is not about an entry ticket into heaven. The gospel is about preparing us as a people so that we will become the kinds of people for which heaven is a most natural environment. In other words, that this life is preparation for the next. And this life is about becoming the sort of people for which heaven is the natural dwelling place. C.S. Lewis writes about this. He wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And it's kind of a, 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 a fantastic journey, if you will, of someone who is, who is living in the ghetto of hell and gets an opportunity, gets a bus ride, a bus ticket to heaven. And he gets there, but he can't stand it there because he is not real enough to live in that environment. That he goes to walk on the grass, but because he is not solid enough, he's not real enough, the grass does not bend and give way to his feet. It sticks up and it pokes him in the feet like nails and pins. And spikes because he can't live in that place. It's not meant for him. And he hates being there. He goes to step into the water, but his feet do not penetrate the surface of the water. And he just slips and gets run on by the river. Because he is not prepared for that kind of life, that kind of existence. Because he is not that kind of stuff. Our life on this earth is to prepare us that we would become the kinds of people for whom heaven is the most natural place for us to live. How do you get that life? Where does it start? The grace of God. It's our only hope. It's what we've talked about for the last how many weeks. Revelation 21.6 says this, To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Without cost. Because he paid the price on the cross. He purchased that eternity for you and for me. And it doesn't wait until we die. It begins right here and right now. And it finds its fulfillment in eternity. Tim Keller wrote this. And when we get there, we will say, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it. And it will by no means be the end of our story. In fact, as C.S. Lewis puts it, all the adventures we have will end up being only the cover and the title page. Finally, we will begin chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.